Chapter one, take two. Do. I will tell you my story, and then you will know. So while they were walking through the forest, the tin woodman told the following story. I was born the son of a woodman who chopped down trees in the forest and sold the wood for a living. When I grew up, I too became a wood chopper, and after my father died, I took care of my old mother as long as she lived. Then I made up my mind that instead of living alone, I would marry, so that I might not become lonely. There was one of the Munchkin girls who was so beautiful that I soon grew to love her with all my heart. She, on her part, promised to marry me as soon as I could earn enough money to build a better house for her. So I set to work harder than ever. But the girl lived with an old woman who did not want her to marry anyone, for she was so lazy she wished the girl to remain with her and do the cooking and the housework. So the old woman went to the Wicked Witch of the East and promised her two sheep and a cow if she would prevent the marriage. Thereupon, the wicked witch enchanted my axe, and when I was chopping away at my best one day, for I was anxious to get the new house and my wife as soon as possible, the axe slipped all at once and cut off my left leg. This at first seemed a great misfortune, for I knew a one-legged man could not do very well as a woodchopper, so I went to a tinsmith and had him make me a new leg out of tin. The leg worked very well, once I was used to it. But my action angered the Wicked Witch of the East, for she had promised the old woman I should not marry the pretty munchkin girl. When I began chopping again, my axe slipped and cut off my right leg. Again, I went to the tinner, and again he made a leg out of tin. After this, the enchanted axe cut off my arms, one after the other. But nothing daunted. I had them replaced with tin ones. The Wicked Witch then made the axe slip and cut off my head. And at first I thought that was the end of me. But the tinsmith happened to come along and he made me a new head out of tin. I thought I had beaten the wicked witch then and I worked harder than ever. But I little knew how cruel my enemy could be. She thought of a new way to kill my love for the beautiful munchkin maiden and made my axe slip again so that it cut right through my body, splitting me into two halves. Once more the tinsmith came to my help and made me a body of tin, fastening my tin arms and legs and head to it by means of joints so that I could move around as well as ever. But alas, I had now no heart so that I lost all my love for the munchkin girl and did not care whether I married her or not. I suppose she is still living with the old woman waiting for me to come after her. My body shone so brightly in the sun that I felt very proud of it and it did not matter now if my axe slipped for it could not cut me. There was only one danger that my joints would rust. But I kept an oil can in my cottage and took care to oil myself whenever I needed it. However, there came a day when I forgot to do this, and being caught in a rainstorm before I thought of the danger of my joints had rusted, and I was left to stand in the woods until you came to help me. It was a terrible thing to undergo, but during the year I stood there I had time to think that the greatest loss I had known was the loss of my heart. While I was in love, I was the happiest man on earth, but no one can love who has not a heart. And so I'm resolved to ask Oz to give me one. If he does, I will go back to the Munchkin Maiden and marry her. <laughs> Apparently the Tin Man is impervious to death. <laughs> Thank you so much for that reading, Brianna. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Chapter 1, Take 2, the podcast where we read the book, watch the film, and then discuss the adaptation. My name is Maddie. I'm Brianna. And today we have a special guest with us. He has joined us for the final episode of our fantasy season, season one, um, our great friend Christopher. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the yeah, show. Thank you for having me. You have such a great microphone voice. Thank you. It's a, a gift. 
and I used to work together and I remember in one of our training groups we would always ask him to read out the text because everyone wanted to hear his beautiful radio voice. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You may have been able to guess, uh, maybe not, I don't know if you've read the book before, it is quite different from the film. Uh, We are doing L. Frank Baum's The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Baum. Baum? Baum. 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 It is... It looks bomb. like bomb. Is it, it bomb? He's the bomb. I think it is bomb. I think it's bomb. Yep. Um, originally written in 1900, so it is... Ooh, a turn of the century novel. Yeah, 120 years old. It's an old book. It's an old book. It's an old film as well. Created in 1939 by director Victor Fleming. Victor Fleming. Who also did, in 1939, Gone with the Wind... And previous films like Joan of Arc and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, definitely a man who has done some title productions. I feel like Victor Fleming is mentioned on Gilmore Girls at least once. Yeah, Victor Fleming sounds like a really familiar name. Mm. Mm. I'm not familiar with him, but now that you've said he directed uh, Gone with the Wind, I can definitely see the similarities between the two. Yeah, I've actually never seen Gone with the Wind, but I, I, I know of it. And I know that it's based on a book, so maybe we'll cover it one day. I feel like you should watch it. It's just one of those films like Citizen Kane that... It's a reference to It's things. so important. Yeah. 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 Um, so quick fun facts about the film. It's got 8 out of 10 on IMDb, so pretty highly rated, and 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, so nearly a perfect score. It had a budget of $2.7 million in 1939, which today translates to $49 million. And box Even that's a pretty small budget film. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, common. I mean, if we compare everything to... It wasn't Dr. Doodle 300 million? I was just going to say Robert Downey Jr.'s Dr. Doodle. They cost 300 million. Two, yeah. 200 million. Oh, okay. Ooh. It's a lot. No, yeah. two, wasn't 200 million the original budget? And then once they realized oh, how maybe. bad it was, they put in another 100 million trying to save it? Yeah, I don't know. They just made it worse. But at box office, 26 million, which uh, translates to 477 million. So it definitely was a box office success. I said million. Million. Pretty sure. Uh, of course, it stars the incredible Judy Garland, who was only 16 at the time of playing Dorothy Gale. Um, Brianna was telling us some facts beforehand that she had to wear a corset, which was very uncomfortable to try and de-age her. I do not think it helped. She definitely does not look... She looked like a teenager. She looks like yeah. a teenager. Yeah. She has breasts. Yes, as teenagers do. Just before... Not all of them do. Um, just before we get any further, I want to say that in the last episode, we said that the book was originally published in German. Uh, it was not... I got confused because the intro to the book is written by Cornelia Funk and she talked very um, passionately about how much she loved reading her copy uh, in German when she was a kid and then didn't read it in English until she was older. Yep, and she is a German author. And she's a German author. Yeah, she did ink hard. Um, Other members of the cast, Margaret Hamilton played the Wicked Witch, Ray Bolger was a scarecrow, Jack Haley was Tin Man, he was um, a replacement because the original Tin Man quit after getting lead poisoning from the makeup. Really? The number of health and safety violations in this film makes me think that I'm surprised no one suggested it was cursed. Oh Um, yeah. Like, (laughs) yep. Toto, I'm pretty sure, broke his legs at one point and had to have a double. Um, uh, poor little doggy. Uh, Margaret Hamilton. Yep, the Wicked Witch. Yes, the Wicked Witch uh, got second and third degree burns from um, the beginning 
when she pu- goes away in a puff of smoke and fire uh, in, in, in Munchkin land, the, her cape caught fire and the heat from the flames melted God. the makeup to her face. The Tin Man suffered poisoning from the makeup. Um, the Scarecrow... He didn't get injured, but the prosthetics were so tight on his face that he actually had the weave Indeed. imprints on his face for a year after filming. Oh, um, my God. Two so... of the actors who played the monkeys wow. were injured um, because of uh, some issues with the rigging when they were flying. Uh, they were coming in pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, really fast. Yeah, yeah. No. They hit the ground were. running when they were chasing dogs yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I mean, it looks really good, but I mean, obviously in 1939, there weren't so many health and safety regulations. Yeah, and Dorothy's yeah. shoes were so painful that she only wears the red slippers in scenes where they're on screen. screen. And if she's if it's just the body um, mid-up, uh, then she was wearing her rehearsal shoes. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so just in general... Oh, and... Um, uh, the lion's suit was so heavy and so hot that he frequently suffered from dehydration. Yeah, well, it was made from real lion's fur. So, that's gross, mm. and I'm not surprised it was so hot, because humans aren't supposed to wear lion's fur. Yeah. yeah. That's, why, that's why we don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was played by Bert Lahr. Uh, Billy Burke was Glinda. Frank Morgan was the wizard. And Terry played Toto. Miscredited in the film. He was. It just says Toto played Toto. But I don't know if they maybe changed his name legally because that's what people wanted to call sure, him. Sure, sure. Yeah. There are so many fun facts you can look up. I love to read the IMDb trivia and I was reading it as I always do yeah. before we recorded. And I got 25% of the way through and I, and I had read like 50 facts and there was still 75% more to scroll. I looked at yeah. the scroll bar and I was like, more and more damn. Angry. It's such, a, it's such a, a iconic film, I think, yeah. like culturally. Yeah. Um, you were saying though, ninety-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. How does that pair up to the other books you guys have read? Like, it's very high. Yeah. Is, yeah. is it the highest so far? Ninety-eight is, seems like incredible. That's a fantastic the only one that I would question what might be higher is a Princess Bride. Yeah, the Princess sure. Bride. But I actually, but I don't think it is ninety-eight percent. I think you might be right. The Wizard of Oz. Princess Bride the deserves ninety-eight. Oh yes, I definitely. The Princess Bride is a better film, I would say, than the. Wizard you know, of Oz. yeah, I don't know. If I'd give it a ninety-eight. But I, uh, I wouldn't. Rewatching it now, I think uh, I don't know if it's because it's tainted by the lens of all the facts that I've learnt. Sure. But I, but I was looking Ooh. at how they handled Toto, and I was like, that is really rough for that little dog. Ninety-seven percent. It's close. Nice. Right. Yeah, it's really close. close. I'm gonna go on when I get home and bump down the this one else. Sorry, was it a Wizard of Oz down yeah. a notch? We gonna say Alice in Wonderland? Yes, I was. <laughs> Wrong uh, small um, female protagonist in a faraway land. (laughs) That's right. Did you want to give us a summary of the book? Yep, I can uh, kind of wrap it up. Um, uh, So Dorothy's living in uh, uh, Kansas with her uncle and auntie and her little dog. Um, But there's a massive cyclone that basically comes and picks up her house and uh, flings her off into uh, the land of Oz, which is um, sort of the opposite of Kansas, very colourful and bright and magical and wonderful, as opposed to like a grey, dreary uh, plainscape. (laughs) Um, So there's a whole bunch of uh, strange and unusual characters inhabiting Oz. Uh, There are munchkins, which uh, uh, Dorothy meets quite early on in the film. Um, And then she meets a series of other uh, helpful and not so helpful uh, people. She's got a couple of witches, one that doesn't really like her very much, uh, one that she lands on, and one that uh, wants to help her out. Um, and uh, together, 
with Toto, she travels along this yellow brick road, uh, meeting a, a straw man, a tin man, and a lion, uh, who are all sort of missing some sort of uh, vital uh, personality trait. Um, uh, as, as they uh, head off to uh, try and find uh, a way to achieve um, courage or, uh, or, or, or wisdom or smarts or uh, to get the heart or to get back home. Unfortunately, uh, when they get there, they get turned away. Uh, they have to go and kill this uh, this wicked witch who Dorothy uh, is sort of opposed to. Um, there's a uh, a murder. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there is a murder. It's so true. It's there so is true. a murder uh, with a bucket of water, um, and uh, they return to the wizard to find uh, that not as all as it seems. Dorothy narrowly misses uh, her ticket home um, and has to go uh, a little bit further through the magical lands of Oz past a a whole bunch of other different uh, obstacles and strange characters uh, before uh, finally realising that, um, and this is the book, uh, that she could have just called on uh, the Wicked Witch's winged monkeys um, uh, all along. That's that's right, isn't it? Oh, she taps her heels three times as well. But... I, where do the the winged monkeys get into this? I listened to this again this morning. Yeah. Every time she seemed like she needed help, yeah. the winged monkeys were there. Yeah, because yeah, she gets so, the crown. Yeah, the golden cap yeah. allows her to use them three times. Yeah. But instead of using the third time to get home, she releases them from their enchanted slavery. Yeah, because the end... Compared to the film, the end of the book is longer. So um, the Wizard of Oz goes away in his balloon like what happens in the film, but then they realise... Oh, they're going to go and need help. So they go to the Good Witch. Yes. And they get there. Um, do the do the monkeys take them there? Do they carry them? Is that part The monkeys of can't happen? take them over the desert. I remember that bit. But she calls on them later again. I think I think where the disconnect is for me here is that these shoes get introduced at the start of the film. Mm. And then right at the very end, they suddenly become relevant again. Yes. Apparently, in the film... Galinda is the only other good witch that she meets, but in the book, she meets the Witch of the North first, who helps her get the shoes, and doesn't tell her what they're used for, that they contain a lot of magical powers. Yes. Um, And then Galinda, she meets at the end and tells her what they're for, so maybe the Witch of the North didn't Uh. know and couldn't give her that information, whereas in the book, in the the movie, the uh, justification for not telling her is like... She had to learn... That she always wanted to be home. She seems to want to be home the moment she arrives in Munchkinland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She seems to, she knows the lesson. She's like, I want to leave now. Yeah, it seemed like she learned that. <laughs> Immediately. She wasn't eager to be there. It seems like maybe the like wizard, not wizard character that exists in Kansas taught her that she wanted to be at home. This is the fortune teller. Yeah, the fortune teller yeah. before she even gets to the, to the land of Oz. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of a classic fairy tale the, mm. the wizard of oz is like lots of things happen in threes and there's a lot of d- obstacles that come up but that are really easily overcome whereas the story that sorry the film streamlines a lot of those obstacles like they literally just they go through the forest and then they get to oz and then they go to the witch and they bring back the broom and then they get home one way or another whereas in the book there's like 10 more obstacles at each point yeah, absolutely. They, and there's like a whole... A dinner with the munchkins, and then there's uh, those the China two, people. Yeah, and the guys with the, the heads, that sort of, the hammer heads or whatever they're called, that yeah. spring off and slam you down hills. Yeah. There's oh, yes. wolf attacks. Yes. A very violent wolf attack, mind you. Yeah. That was it. The, the Tin Man in the book 
He's vicious. He is. He yeah. kills like 40 wolves. Yeah. And he's, but he's super useful. Like yeah, he makes definitely. them a bridge. And the queen um, of the field, field mice. Yeah, and the field mice. I, I don't know if I prefer the book or the film. We'll discuss that more later. But I definitely hmm. see more value in the book. I guess it's just more, it leans into the fact that it's a fun adventure that a girl goes on. And it's a sure. bit more like, this is just because it's silly. Yeah, it makes the land of Oz seem a little bit more than just, uh, I don't know, like one place with a road connecting to another place yeah. and a wicked witch off to the side. Yeah, it's only there for Dorothy mm. to finish her journey, is what the film is like, whereas well, there's actually other creatures. How would you... So this is something that we do, a segment we do, um, where we rate the film as an adaptation of the book and then later we'll rate it just as a film okay. on its own. So how would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 as an adaptation of the book? Probably only a 4, because I feel like a lot of the characters are really different. Like Dorothy in the book is um, a lot younger but she's also a lot stronger of character and i think like the tin man like we said he's a lot more uh he's a man of action in the book and he's constantly saving issues by chopping stuff down um and the scarecrow and lion are really different as well and so many more characters come into the book like I, I think the film is just like a really streamlined version but it's it's it just took the main premise and turned that into a film i don't think it's a like a, a good adaptation in that sense. Mm. What about you? Um, as an adaptation, I'd probably give it maybe a seven. Oh yeah. Yeah, I. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm with Chris. I, I was going like six, six and a half. Okay. I okay. need to. Yeah, even though uh, it might not be entirely faithful for me, it was. Uh, it adapted the right parts sure, uh, sure. to make it into a film, and if they had. Uh, started delving into these other bits here and there, I think it might have become a little bit too... Inundated? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't know if they necessarily had the special effects necessary at the time to uh, to, to sell uh, the, the the little China people yeah. or the, the queen of the, the mice and things like that. I don't know if they... Would. Oh, they wouldn't. I wouldn't they wouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they could sell it. Just thinking about those owls that we saw in the in, in the vultures in the forest. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I, I wasn't so <laughs> It literally is just those figurines at people's front doors. Yeah, it's like a Halloween the, decoration. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And they just turned their heads. No, yeah, I think that's valid. So yeah, I give it a, I'll give it a seven. Yeah. I think they get the heart of the plot and the heart of the story pretty good. Um, I do think that Maddie's right that they do kind of, and we see this a lot in children's books when they're adapted to film, where uh, filmmakers for some reason just don't think that children are going to be able to handle the darkness Mm. of the book, which is weird because The Wizard of Oz became a film because it was a beloved children's novel. Yeah. And And it it wouldn't have been a beloved children's novel like it wouldn't have mattered you know yeah so if they could handle it in book form which i think a lot of books are scarier than films yeah uh, or more powerful than films i think they could handle it as a film yeah and and they kind of just wash over the death like it still happens like in the film the wizard is asking them to kill the witch but he just doesn't say it in so many words he's like he implies bring me her broom and and the tin man's like but we would have to kill her and he's like bring me her broom (laughs) i said uh-huh. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then the lion jumps through a window. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just running down the hallway. It's like, all right, we need a cool stunt here. Jump out this window arbitrarily. Death, yeah. death is a lot of thing that a lot of children's books deal with. Yes. But I don't know how many of them. Oh, I guess a lot of the sort of children's heroes, and especially in fantasy novels, do engage in 
like fighting and killing things. Mm. They're normally sort of horrible monsters or witches or things like that. So it's not that out of place. Well, if you think about it, like, um, well, I always like to think about Harry Potter. It just seemed like it took Harry Potter for the film industry to wake up and realize that children can handle quite dark things. Sure. Mm. Like yeah. the the it's, first the first book is dark. It's not as dark as book four, where things get really things intense. Things get real in book four. Um, because up until then, no one really seems to be in danger, and then a student dies hmm. uh, yeah. okay. in real time. Whereas, like in book uh, in book two, Moaning Myrtle dies, but not in real time. Sure, yeah, it's a past event. Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, something I was surprised by is that The Wizard of Oz kind of reminded me um, the book reminded me of uh, the Neverending Story. I think it might have been just because it's a child going through all kinds of different adventures, meeting different characters. Um, in another land. In another land. Like, obviously, that's a very broad thing to say. Um, oh, no, I, I definitely see the similarities. Like, the never-ending story is, I feel like, a philosopher's fairy tale. Yeah. Um, I think it, it goes into a lot. Like, there's quite a bit of depth into it. Uh, however, what intermediate sort of a, a Wizard of Oz in a way, really. Like it's a, a Wizard of Oz, but aged up a little bit. Yeah. The Thinking Man's Wizard of Oz. Not that the Wizard of Oz uh, isn't for thinking people, because um, <laughs> there are like there are a lot of themes in the, uh, in this book that, uh, although like are presented relatively simply, uh, still hold a lot of merit. Yeah. yeah. There's this quote from the book that I really like, um, where the Scarecrow is talking, and he says. That proves you are unusual, returned the Scarecrow, and I am convinced that the only people worthy of consideration in this world are the unusual ones. For the common folks are like the leaves of a tree and live and die unnoticed. <laughs> that's deep. Yeah, that's real deep. That's it's deep. Telling you to stand out and be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Did um, any of the themes resonate with you particularly, Christopher? Well, speaking about the... Um the scarecrow I felt like he was offering up little gems of wisdom the whole way through like the book and in the film as well there yeah. was never to me any any doubt that he was wise and, like <laughs> yeah, uh, some of his rhymes were a little bit off and like you know he was saying things that didn't make sense but ultimately like he felt like cowardly like the other three were as well uh, the other two were the, the, the tin man in the movie was a uh, uh, didn't seem very brave at all but he was just offering out all these little pearls like um, uh, he's talking about uh, the people who've got the most to say uh, probably shouldn't say the most or, yeah, or, some, or yeah, say yeah, the yeah. least or something like that and then yeah. he's talking about how uh, you know uh, it's going to get a little bit darker before it gets light like even <laughs> things like that like it's simple but there's poignance in it definitely I agree and I think I think what I found interesting in both the book and the film is that all of the characters seem to possess the thing including Dorothy in a way, even though she doesn't realize it, the thing that they desire the most, which yeah. is, you know, um, the, the the courage and stuff, they all have it. Mm. And they prove to themselves that they have those things. Yeah. And then they go to the wizard and they're like, I still need something from you. Yeah. Even as a false god to tell me that I am the thing that I wish yeah. that I were. We need validation yeah. in a physical form. <laughs> I particularly <laughs> thought that was so funny with the diploma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because... I have felt in my time since graduating university a couple, like, not that infrequently that the paper is a little bit... Arbitrary. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Absolutely. It's, yeah. No, it is. And I think um, as a society, we've all kind of bought into the fact that you can't be successful without a university qualification. But in reality, unless you're going to school for something really specific, like becoming a doctor or an engineer, like, I have a commerce degree and you have an arts degree. And um, you also, you have a... 
I don't have a degree at the moment, but I've uh, got a diploma in radio broadcasting. And uh, right, but yours is the example um, of a specific. That, that's a specific it is, job. yeah, yeah. So yeah. a lot of the things I learned in there aren't really transferable to uh, perhaps other jobs or like yeah, or wider yeah. wider industry. But I think even in terms of like medicine, uh, a significant portion of medicine is learned when you do your residency. Mm. Uh, sure, it's practical. It is practical, and even even full fledged doctors still have to consult medical dictionaries and things to. Oh, yeah, con- you couldn't remember possibly everything. remember every single mm. disease and condition. Taking it back a step though to that diploma that the scarecrow received in the film, mm. did I kind of thought like maybe I was looking reading into it wrong? I thought it was perhaps being satirical, like the 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 wizard himself is meant to be like sort of a pompped up university type, like a, he's a he's an he's an intellectual. Mm. Um, and he sort of offers his degree up, but, uh, you know, I was just a bit of paper, really. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, he I, had I three of them in the role. Yeah, he literally had one out. And it was a, no, and a nonsense thing, too. What was it in the film? Thinkology. Yeah, thinkology. Yeah. But in the book, he, like, makes, he fashions a brain and does, like, sort of... It's all pins and stuff, yeah. isn't it? And it all seemed like it was for a pun just to say, he's sharp now. Like, yeah. All right. <laughs> Um, I like it though. I do as well. Actually. <laughs> I do as well. I actually prefer the pins sticking out his head than the uh, diploma. But uh, so yeah, they're both funny. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was a bit more violent. Mm, I liked. I liked um, that the lion drinks liquid courage, aka yeah, yeah. alcohol. <laughs> so yeah. it must be. It must be satirical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's always well, a lot of the time anyway. Uh, children's literature, children's films, they're made by adults, and so yeah, there's constantly inside jokes that children uh don't get but that's you know it's not for them but that's the beauty of it you know one of the reasons shrek was so successful is because there are jokes in there that are for the adults yeah but it's still a great movie yeah you know absolutely um i don't feel like i gave chris a proper introduction before um he is a very good friend he's also um a librarian and a man who has an amazing radio voice and someone whose opinion we value highly and so we made him read a book and watch this film that he necessarily wouldn't have done otherwise yeah do you think that you would have read the wizard of oz no (laughs) definitely not definitely not so like in the vein of fantasy it's very much within my wheelhouse um but the sort of books i tend to read uh skewed more towards the chapter where the tin man is massacring wolves and and less towards the bit where they're talking with the the little mice and things like that yeah um but yeah i mean it was nice to step outside my uh my comfort zone um or you know my normal lane for a uh, for a while yeah uh, sort of experience a kids book again because I don't normally step back into children's literature, literature. Yeah. no and we appreciate it um, to make the most of your gorgeous smooth um, radio DJ voice mm-hmm. would you mind reading the introduction by Cornelia Funk this of course is this book here smooth if you'd jams like. with yeah. the radio DJ Chris it's just those two pages it's just, just these uh, Two, three, these, these four. It's, okay, it's cool. just thirty pages. Yeah, right. it's just the whole book. Just you're just gonna narrate. Yeah, sure, book. sure. <laughs> well, I mean, can you do that now? Because I think you, this must surely must be in um, the public, uh, domain. public domain. I feel like it is. I'm pretty sure there's the LibriVox um, audiobook for it. <laughs> All right. So this is the introduction to the Wizard of Oz by Cornelia Funk. I was born in Germany, where you didn't read the Wizard of Oz as a child, but Jim Knopf and Lucas the steam engine driver. Pippi Longstocking, or Emile and the Detectives, and maybe Tom Sawyer. I read that at least a dozen times. But not The Wizard of Oz. Surely that story was not a book. It was a movie. A famous movie. 
with an adult woman dressed up as a girl, with lots of singing and very evil witches, wasn't it? I can't remember exactly how old I was when I found out that originally there was a book, as so often with the great stories, telling the tale of the cowardly lion, the tin woodman who thinks he has no heart, and the scarecrow who believes he has no brains. But I was a so-called adult when I first read it. Oh, so was I. Today, <laughs> today I own two quite different copies of this book. A German one with wonderful illustrations by Elizabeth Zwerger. My favourite being the one where the Tin Woodman and the Scarecrow carry the sleep-eating Dorothy through the deadly poppy field. And another one in English. The American First Edition. With all its pages illustrated but only in green and red. As it was hard and expensive to print colour at that time. When I started to write this introduction, I took the two books from my shelf and put them on my writing desk, and just looking at them made me realise, once again, what a timeless and unforgettable story Al Frank Baum told. Only the best stories inspired illustrators all over the world to find their own and often very different images for one story, because only very special stories create characters who speak to all of us, all over this world, who personify deeply human matters, the weaknesses and virtues, feelings and thoughts we all share. Although my first edition, which means it is quite an old book, shows the Tin Woodman in almost the same way my German and quite new book does, other characters are drawn differently. For example, only in the old book does the lion wear a crown, and the scarecrow is much fatter in the new one. <laughs> Nevertheless, whichever way the reader or illustrator imagines them, the characters in the story are unforgettable, and over the many years The Wizard of Oz has been told, readers have given its characters new faces, new clothes, new shapes, but still they remain the one and only lion, scarecrow, tin woodman, and wizard. That is another wonderful thing about a great story like this. It changes all the time with the readers it finds. No child today will imagine Dorothy with pigtails as she is portrayed in my first edition, but however you imagine her, it will still be Dorothy a character as immortal as a printed page can grant. But why exactly is this story a great story? I am tempted to say you should find out for yourself, as I believe every reader finds another story between the pages of a book. If you don't like it, it is often not the story that is to blame, just the fact that it was not the right one for you. The better a story is, the more readers will find themselves in it, and each one will find something that seems to be there, especially for him or her. A certain episode or character, sometimes a sentence, that gives us the words for something we always knew, but never had the words for. Yes, that's what storytelling is all about. Word fishing, and giving birth to characters from these words. When we remember a story, what do we remember most? The story itself, or its characters? Don't these characters sometimes follow us through all our lives like good friends? That's another kind of magic a great story can weave. The Wizard of Oz will make you meet three quite unforgettable characters. Your own beating heart will suddenly remind you of the Tin Woodman, who so desperately longs to have such a heart. Each scarecrow you see in a field will make you ask yourself whether this one would also like to walk away to find a brain. And every lion's roar will remind you of the cowardly lion, who touched your heart in the Kingdom of Oz. This is another thing a great story can do. It adds another reality to the one we see. It weaves another story into our own story, and makes them all one, as they probably are anyway. So, open the book, and start travelling through the pages. It will be quite a journey, and you won't come back the way you started, which is true for all journeys, especially written ones. 
accept the invitation of printed letters, and step into the strange land of Oz. And if you are luckier than me, you'll go there while you're still a child. (laughs) I wasn't luckier than her. I wasn't luckier than her either. I also did not read this as a child. I did not know. um, I didn't know. It was was very... When I read that, I was like, oh good, it wasn't just me that didn't know that The Wizard of Oz was based on the book. Because to me, when I thought yeah. of it, I just thought of the Judy Garland. Version. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, the sort of images of her in the gingham dress and munchkins and that uh, that big painted backdrop with the Emerald City on it are just, uh, like uh, uh, Funk says, yeah. sort of burned into your brain. Yeah. You can't really be blamed for that, though, because there, there are so many books in the world. <laughs> And uh, it's hard to be familiar with all of them. So if the first time you're introduced to something, you just assume it's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I guess now you'd see a lot of the time as well, uh, sort of uh, wrapped in with the advertising for a film would be the, um, you know, uh, the books as well, based on the the best-selling novel oh, yes, or yes, something yes, yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes. But of course, is I don't know, perhaps that was uh, a case when they were advertising this originally, but... I wonder if that's a right that authors that. get now that they weren't necessarily afforded. Yeah, previously. I wouldn't be surprised. I, mm. Yeah. I mean, you were talking before about how uh, exploitative um, these uh, Hollywood studios and industries can be. Uh, surely uh, a, a lonely author is uh, uh, easy prey for them as well. Absolutely. Uh, I really love that introduction. I feel like Cornelia Funk does a great job of writing about the passion of stories and how they stay with you and how they shape who you become and um, the significance of picking up a book and how you read it how versus someone how someone else reads it. Uh, this This particular book has quite a lot of theories surrounding it about what it means if it means anything mm-hmm. um, allegories to like political movements happening in the United States while uh, the book was written and such things but there are other theories that are the uh, like the opposite side of it like one of the big theories around it is that uh, Frank Albaum was criticizing technological advancements um, and the materialism mm. of modern society at the turn of the century and then there are other people who feel like no he's celebrating it and I think that's funny that two people picked the same book and thought completely different yeah, ideas absolutely. about what the author intended to say. Yeah, well, books are so open to interpretation because while it is an author's uh, telling, it's your experience of what your brain turns the text into. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say, absolutely. <laughs> My whole degree is about analyzing what the author supposedly meant to tell us. <laughs> Talking about um, the author made me want to look him up. His... Um, First name, his, his actual full name is Lyman Frank Baum, and he was uh, an American author chiefly famous for his children's books, particularly The Wizard of Oz, and its sequels. He wrote 14 novels in the Oz series, plus 41 other novels, 83 short stories, over 200 poems, and at least 42 scripts. I didn't know wow. any He would have written more than that. That's just the stuff that the, got published. Yeah. He was born in New York and died in Los Angeles, and he died in 1919, so 20 years after his death, the film was made. And I wonder, or maybe not, but I mean, I've never seen The Wizard of Oz based on the book by Al Frank, Al Frank Baum, you know? It's always mm-hmm. just The Wizard of Oz. But yeah. you're right, like today, these days, you can't do that. It has to say, based on the book of blah, blah, blah. One of my favorite uh, little facts that I read on the IMDP page is that they were looking for a for a jacket for um, the wizard that was like sort of like mis- misshapen, mishappen, g- gentleman, but still a bit like 
rug, like rugged and ragged, mm-hmm. like a raggedly gentleman coat. And so they went to a thrift store and they bought a whole rack of coats and they took it back. And the costume designer and Victor Fleming looked through the, the rack and pulled out a jacket they felt was perfect for the wizard. And the tag inside said property of Frank L. Baum and they'd accidentally wow. purchased one of his old jackets. Crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Uh, and then Destiny! He wore it for the film and they presented it to his wife after the filming uh, commenced. Wow. Um, MGM aren't all bad. They just uh, don't take care of their performers. I mean, it's a pretty small small gesture, really. Yeah, no, it it is. Um, Shall we do our segment where we talk about um, the big differences that we found comparing the book and the film? I guess the big one, okay, there there are two big differences. The biggest one, probably the most significant one, is that in the book, Dorothy travels to Oz. That Oz is a real place that exists in space and time. It's not a dream. That's a big one. What do we think about that? I don't like it. I like to think that it's a real place. I think it... I don't know why they chose to do it that way. Like with her getting hit on the head and then waking up. And I mean, maybe that makes sense for... um, You know, these are characters she knows in real life. And this is how her unconscious brain has interpreted it. But I like to think that fantasy places are real and places you can go to. Like in mm. The NeverEnding Story and Stardust, you're, to, to be on the edge of fantasy and us living in our what we perceive as reality, but just knowing that fantasy is like just behind your front door, to me that sure. is magical. And I, I like to think that that is a possibility. So I prefer the way the story, um, the way the novel tells the journey of Dorothy. In those, in those instances, are you thinking of, like, a place where someone can cross from reality to fantasy, essentially? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I'm down. If, if, I'm the, down. If, if there was a place like that actually in the world, mm. where would you say it would be? The edge of reality. Yeah. That's such a good question. I feel like it would have to be in Europe or something like so? Greenland. There could be little spots all over the place. Yeah, there could be. Well, mm. I think in um, in the episode little of... Little doorways Do- left over. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a reference to um, the His Dark Material series. Ah, sure, of course. Um, which is really good. But I was thinking... Um, the Northern Lights is a pretty good one. It's a really good one. Um, but there's in Doctor Who... Um, where Brian and I have been to Cardiff and there's an alleyway that is like it's just a trick of the eye that yeah. it makes it look normal but if you walk down it you actually are transported into an alien universe mm. um, so yeah I think it would more be um, like you suggested Chris it would be little little doorways all sure. over the place that people stumble accidentally into nice and that to me is like I, I prefer to live like I know I'm not insane like I don't think that you know yeah, well yes I, look but that's a, it's still a nice thought to have it is to nice entertain, isn't it that well I mean what is it yeah. to be insane it's just to live a different reality from the one that we're living definitely I think there's only an issue where there's a point where you can no longer function in the current reality you are in sure mm. uh, I, <laughs> which is a bit unfair but that's how society is structured I don't know if I dislike or like the dream thing I think it's uh, it, 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 it exists because there was a clear, this is a lesson idea yeah. with oh, the sure. film. Yeah. Like and where you are. It was designed for children. Yeah, yeah. and, and what, a, what a lesson that is. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever dream of anything better. Than Don't dream way. big, kids. Stick where you started. <laughs> yeah, stay exactly. in your desecrated farm. Yeah, stay in your lane, I think kids. desecrated is the wrong word. Decimated? Desolate. Des- all, all of them. The, the run-down, shitty farm. That's where you want to stay. Yeah, because, like, I... I mean, they're just like, 
at the beginning when um Mrs. Gulch comes to take Toto away. At first, they stick up for Dorothy and they're like, oh, you can't take her away. I'd like to you know, tell you what I think of you. And but then, I can't because I'm a good Christian woman. <laughs> <laughs> but then she whips out the letter and she's like, I've got a letter from the police station saying I can take Toto away. Yeah. because they don't. And then they're like, well, we can't stand against the law. Law's never wrong. Sorry, Dorothy. Yeah. How weak will they, really? Yeah. Yeah. It was no proof. Like We don't even see the bite in, ugh, I don't know if we're supposed to just think that Toto was aggressive in the instance, but he's an incredibly passive dog in the film. He's real chilled out. And I'm like, that dog did not bite anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dorothy is patting him really aggressively and he seems very fine with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a similar mindset to you, Brie. As like, I can I can just, I can see the, uh, the logic in making it like a, a concussion dream, essentially. <laughs> As because, you know, the kids can watch that or anyone can watch that and they can put themselves in that position and maybe they can see those people you know and uh, go oh maybe the cowardly line in, in my life is such and such and uh, I guess it just helps them empathize with the uh, sort of situations that their reality is based in yeah. I, I I really like your your reasoning as well I love the idea that fantasy is just beyond uh, it's just out of our reach yeah, just yeah. slightly yeah. yeah it makes me feel better about my life not that I haven't I have a very fortunate life this is me just being like oh I wish we had talking animals that's all Honestly. that I want I just want an animal friend it's a common theme who in just our hangs out with me just... I would have such good times all the time um, there's also the difference where Dorothy is aged up yeah um, quite a bit um, I don't know if that was intentional or just that they felt like because it's it's more complicated than we often like to think it is mm. in casting people getting Judy Garland into the film helped sell the film oh definitely totally Do you and, know? I mean they say and I mean that voice though yeah yes well, absolutely a, well the book isn't a musical and so I think it was absolutely genius books aren't musicals no like, but, they never but there's no like singing written the, well into it. I mean the, the Lord of the Rings gets pretty close sometimes okay. yeah yeah I've read books where there is perhaps not for the better, but <laughs> but turning the film into uh, much more of a musical, I think, was mm. absolutely genius. I'd be interested enough if that was because um, I'm I from what I'm I'm aware of around that time, the reason for a lot of um, uh, move productions uh, would be so they could basically be a front for a Broadway show or a musical theatre production. Uh, so you'd have the movie and then you'd have the travelling show that basically went around and made all the right. money. So things like Dr. Doolittle uh, would have like a musical uh, and then a stage show sort of fronting it. I wonder if there was a Wizard of Oz there, there was a There was a Wizard of Oz production. I don't know if it was associated with the film or not, but there definitely was a Wizard of Oz yeah. Broadway production. And I... And, but I mean, that was really common. If you think about films like Seeing in the Rain... Yeah, and like, yeah. Uh, there, there are so many films from this era Chitty, Chitty bang, bang. of filmmaking that look that look and feel like stage productions that have been filmed rather than films that are films in and of themselves. Yeah, mm. it probably also had to do with the resources available. Like we looked while well, watching the film now in 2020, it's nearly um, you know it's 20 years off being a decade old, um, and it looks like yeah there are just painted sets in the background and you can see it and they often just dance off. It's almost like they're leaving the, the the stage. It's very similar to the way that would look. When was the book published? 1900. 1913. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. When the film was made. So uh, ne- film nearly was made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Film. Yeah, it's over 100 mm. years since it was written. Totally. Yeah, so it looks like it, you know, exactly. They just turned a stage musical into a film, which... But I mean, that was a common form Ex- of entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Ex- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I got no, I got no complaints. I love singing in the ring. I love bread, bed, not... 
bed knobs and broomsticks, Mary Poppins and um, Chichi Bing Bang and mm. I just, yeah. give yeah. me a musical sound of music. I'm into it. Let's I love a it. good uh, dance scene. Like, yeah, I think when. I don't know what it is. It's just so satisfying to see a bunch of people do the same dance really well together. Absolutely. It just so f- it feels good. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a Dick Van Dyke and uh, that bamboo um, Norris, Morris dancing scene and Chi Chi Bang Bang. For yeah. me, hits every button. <laughs> He's just so on point. They're all so on point. Yeah, it's fantastic. And he, and he just knows all the steps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> He's truly amazing. Yeah. No, and there were good dancers in this as well, to be yeah. fair. Like, uh, the choreo, I mean, it wasn't as uh, sort of musically, perhaps, uh, or like dancing-y as like a movie like Shinji Bang Bang. But when Dorothy arrives in uh, Oz and uh, all the munchkins come out and start singing and dancing, like, that's, a, that's like a musical variety show yeah. going on. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's super yeah. fun. I wonder how long it took them to film that, like, whole sort of sequence, because there's so many moving parts with, like, uh, different munchkins coming in from the down the stairs at the back of the stage. I think them there were. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I was, I had to just, wow. And we, you know, doing research, none of them are children. They're all adults. And Brie was reading about how um, a lot of them were uh, people of Jewish uh, religion who were escaping Nazi Germany at the time, which is very dark, but obviously good that they left and they were able to get out and I'm going to leave this tangent it's a dangerous path to go down what are we doing next? We're, we're talking about Dorothy being young I was going to say that there is a, a sort of a, a common uh, a saying in like in, in entertainment which is never work with children or animals, animals. Yeah. and the Wizard of Oz who are our two main characters a child and an animal <laughs> and, and, and I guess the dog was really well behaved um, well what about know? Shirley Temple? Yeah. Shirley Temple? Yeah, she's a child. How old was she when she was uh, doing the big productions? Oh, like 11, 12? Yeah. Mm. She Quite a, young. Is she a contemporary of um, uh, Judy Garland and stuff? Were they around at the same time? I don't know. She would have been around either just before or in, at the same time or just after, I would imagine. Thinking yeah. about the film, I, I feel like a, a child could have... A child actor could have sold... The performance that Judy Garland gave, not to diminish her performance at all. Yeah, but it's around the same time, 1935 to 1938. Okay, there wasn't a huge sort of range in it, really. Like, no, she was just sad a lot of the time. She was. It was very consistent. I want to go home. Uh, I think Judy Garland, uh, incredibly talented. I just, um, you know, it was interesting that they cast a 16 year old and they wanted her to look because the way they did her pigtails, like they definitely wanted Mm. her to look younger, but she's supposed to be like eight. Oh, they did. They did. In fact, the original director was Richard Thorpe, and he got fired two weeks into production. And his look for Judy Garland is completely different. She had long, blonde hair um, that was in, like, soft waves, and her makeup was that of a doll. Really? Yeah. That, looks, that sounds a bit creepy. It, it is. So you can you can see production shots, like, if you Google Richard Thorpe's uh, Do you know Dorothy. why he got fired? Nope. But they say <laughs> fired and not let go. Like, yeah. they didn't go in a different direction. It sounds like they gave them the yeah. like, mm, Nope, don't like your vision. Get out of here. Mm. Like, this is what she... This was the look. Oh, sure. To me, that's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. That looks yeah. a lot well, like Well, I mean, Frank L. Baum was very inspired by Alice in Wonderland. Right. So, um, yeah. that's not unsurprising. I mean, they are similar journeys where... They're very a, similar a stories. Girl goes and sees some weird characters and... And to be honest, you can't... You can't um, look at The Wizard of Oz and not uh, recognize 
it in context of what was going on in the world then because Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs had just been released and Disney had it became the most popular film of all time very quickly and Disney was making a lot of money off of it and he also used to do the Alice shorts um, so that's that's not unsurprising and they even went so far as to get the voice actress from Snow White who played Snow White mm. to do a line yeah, uh, in, in, the film. in the film in which she was paid a thousand dollars for and it's when we're introduced to um, the Tin Man and that you hear from nowhere in particular. Yeah. Uh, Wherefore art thou Romeo? And that is the voice of Just a disembodied voice. Yeah. Yeah. And they would just pretend like that's okay. Like that, like they're not going insane. They can just hear this. Yeah. There's a, there's a word for that. Is what I'm sure. I actually yeah. think like if you look at the facial structure of Judy Garland, she could have been cast as as Snow White in a live action, like from what Snow White the cartoon looks like. Yeah. No, definitely. With just the big eyes about... and the small nose and small mouth. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland was uh, originally written in 1865. Hmm. So, man, there are so many classics that I just don't... I didn't realize how old they were. Like, especially, you know, we're still getting adaptations of Alice in Wonderland from um, Tim Burton, which makes them feel incredibly modern, but they're not. Well, actually, that was a question I wanted to ask you guys as well. I had this thought in the shower. We've seen yeah. so we're, yeah we're seeing uh, we're seeing so many of these um of these films remade recently that have yes. been like a classical uh, a classical sort of culturally iconic film yes uh, almost seen them remade so I'm I'm speaking like Beauty and the Beast uh, there's an upcoming Little Mermaid isn't there yeah. the Secret Garden yeah absolutely so that uh, looks- Jungle Book like mm-hmm. there's three or four different copies floating around yeah. in the last couple of years mm-hmm. I was so, actually thinking that while they were filming like are they going to remake this film absolutely and what I wanted to ask you guys is if you were remaking The Wizard of Oz. Firstly, who would you be casting in Dorothy's role? And would that be an older actress or would that be a child? I would cast a child. I don't know if it's because there are so many more children who want to be actors these days or because conditions in the industry have improved, but I have seen films with a lot of amazing child actors that I don't think Mm. it would be hard to find a child who could perform Dorothy in a way that was absolutely it's really great and i'd love to see that i i don't know i i find it's really satisfying to watch a film where a young child overcomes huge obstacles because i think to have that kind of inner strength as a child is something that i wish that i probably had more more so than if an adult was doing the same thing yeah because i don't know you have expectations that an adult would just deal with a situation more pragmatically like totally whereas a child is always going to make something worse in their mind because they can't i don't know they don't have much yeah i guess it's every every sort of challenge is just taking that step further if it's a child who's got to overcome it potentially yeah yeah and they have to be more convincing like one of the things i like about um, the character Lyra, we keep talking about the Northern Lights, is that she is only 12 years old, Mm. but she is so sure of herself that she is able to convince adults of what she thinks and why her way is the right way. Okay. And I've always loved that about the character. So, in your remake... Would you cast Daphne Keene? She's too... Who's this? She, She's playing um, Lyra in the new BBC adaptation. Yeah, I thought about her, but I feel like she's... I mean, she's got a really good range, but I feel like she might be too hard for Dorothy. Question. If this film was being made today, yeah. do you think Millie Bobby Brown would be I was actually... Honestly, I was yeah. about to say that one of the films or uh, TV shows, as it were, that sort of turned me around to uh, seeing that there is like child actors out there who are really talented and have range mm. was Stranger Things and yeah, I was thinking yeah. like who on that would be a good cast member for <laughs> she does uh, have Wizard that like 
sweet child yeah, face. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. The um, the other actress on that, the one who plays um, her redheaded friend. Oh yes, yes, yes. I thought she'd be another good choice as Bobby? well. I don't know. Her name in the show is. I'm not sure. I feel like it is Bobby. Is that Sadie Sink. In real life. In real life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I. I mean, I don't know if the. Of the age now, we're like. I guess you could. They could easily play a Dorothy role. Yeah. Definitely. Her name is Max. Max. Who's Bobby? Max. Yeah. It's Bobby's right. it. Are you thinking of Millie Bobby Brown? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's a really good question, and I, I, I personally, yeah, would cast a child actor. A child, yep, sure, mm. not yeah. a teenager, and try and age them down. You'd no. be the same, Brie. Uh, yeah, I would. I think now more than ever, it's really important uh, for young girls to have people on screen that they can look up to that are powerful and strong. So I would, I would do that, and I would also change the portrayal of Dorothy mm-hmm. uh, from the original 1939's film to something more like the book and more like something we see in his dark materials. Yeah. Someone okay. who's resourceful and clever. Yeah, and thinking about the solution totally. rather than in the film, Dorothy is constantly crying and then she's being saved by these other characters, which a lot of the time are sure. male. She's kind of just a... Um well, in some ways, she's uh, almost like a vehicle for the story. And there are other yeah. things that are sort of <laughs> yeah. happening all around her. But our point of view is following her the whole way through. Yeah. But things yeah. are just happening to her. She doesn't even necessarily go on a journey like we were talking about. She seems pretty content to go home from the... Yeah, you know, totally. There, totally. Whereas all the other characters don't. One of the things that I was looking up is I was trying to, I was trying to think in my mind... Is Dorothy a feminist character? Is she a strong female character? Because our next season is going to be female-led films with strong female roles. And we're going Mm -hmm. to talk about what makes a good, strong female character. And I was confused because I was thinking of Dorothy from the book. And I was trying to make it match up with Dorothy in the film. I was trying to reconcile (laughs) the Mm -hmm. two images of Dorothy. Because I do remember her being like, when she is freeing the Tin Man, she seems so beside herself. And she's just like, oh, oh. And that's what I think of when yeah, I think of right. Dorothy. Oh, so flustered. That's a, that's a very sort of a classical uh, film sort of literature style, isn't it? Like that's a, that's a similar kind of way you'd expect to see Alice from Alice in Wonderland kind of react, or Snow White. You know, mm. there's very pa- a very powdery voice, yes, and they yes. all sort of uh, you know wave and oh, fade right, and swoon. Like, yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, um, but I want to go home now. <laughs> so I could see it. I could see the remake either going. The way that you guys are saying, where it would um, it would be uh, sort of adapted for a modern audience, and maybe have a few more themes that were giving Dorothy a bit more agency and a little bit more of a, yeah. a, a character arc, or you could just go the entire opposite way and go like Fawn, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. Have you ever seen that film? It's yeah, fantastic. I have. Jeremy Renner. I can't yeah. remember the actress's name, but it's like a um, uh, like a real tongue and cheek, like a almost like a uh, a fantasy. A fairy tale for adults. Right. Like they're there to like kill some witches, and there's heaps of cool prosthetics and like fight scenes and stuff, and it's really hammed up and cheesy, but it's also really self-aware. So for me, I reckon that'd be the way I'd want the film to to flip. I'd love to see uh, Wizard of Oz remade, but like just taking that wolf fight scene and then like pumping everything up to a level. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can see how that would be really good like, and really satisfying. Yeah, Tin Man's walking out to like Iron Man by Black Sabbath playing or and something he's got like his axe that. And it's yeah, yeah, in the come sun. on, beautiful. Catches the glint of the moonlight or that's something. That's right, that's right. Yeah, I'd yeah. be all for it. But yes, I, I, I can definitely see this film being remade in the near future, and uh, yeah, I, I hope um, 
uh, some of the suggestions that you guys chucked out and sort of taken on board and Dorothy's just more of a, a, f- a complete character I yeah, want to say definitely. Yeah. and that, no I, uh, I'm actually surprised we haven't seen the Wizard of Oz remade itself I mean we've seen different adaptations again like the Wiz with Michael Jackson with Michael Jackson I don't know why I said that weird um, and also Return to Oz mm. which is an even weirder film like 2013 yeah, yeah and it's got te- it Disney's chance it's got terrifying animals with like have you ever seen it I've not seen it's it it's got like these creatures that are the henchmen of the evil witch but um, she replaces her faces with different faces oh okay Game and- of Thrones style <laughs> it's, it's dark and she's got um, the, her creature her henchmen are these really long like bicycle dudes but their arms and legs have wheels on the bottom and that's how they get around and there's like a mountain that is allergic to chicken eggs and that's how Dorothy gets back and it's wow it's so odd is this based on another one of um, Baum's well there is a return to Oz book I have never read it and I don't know how close it is to the retelling but I it's to investigate it's really dark because the main premise of how, how Dorothy goes back to Oz is at the beginning of the film she's in Kansas and everyone thinks she's had some sort of psychotic episode and she's about to get um, electric shock treatment and she escapes and then she gets to yeah it's super like they're they're thinking with her hallucinations of the first one because she's telling people about Oz and they're like oh you're a bit crazy that's um pretty relevant like I mean that yeah my grandfather's mother had electric shock treatment done to her really yeah Yeah, I listened to a podcast dark um, called Scattered, and um, it was about a Cuban man telling the story of his her, his father, mm. and his fa- he ended up finding out that his father had electroshock therapy, mm. um, and it was something he had to go through in order to escape. And um, no one in his family, including his wife, knew about it. How awful! Yeah, sort of reminds me of um, Sucker Punch in a way. Mm. I mean, it also had its own merits and its own flaws as a film. <laughs> But that kind of idea of escapism from a uh, from some awful situation and going somewhere fantastical was yeah. interesting. Do you think that um, the Wizard of Oz is untouchable as a film? Yeah. No, certainly not. Well, I mean, but like, do you think that it is it is held in such a high regard that anybody who would be proposed to remake it would say no? It's it's career suicide. Definitely not. I there's so many people out there who jump at a chance like that. I'm sure. I don't. Yeah. I honestly don't know why they haven't. Already turned out a Wizard of Oz remake, like this well, film will always. Has there been a Citizen Kane in, remake? In, I don't there know. Hasn't, there hasn't been like a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang remake. Yeah, but in two thousand and seven, there was Tin Man, which was yeah. Um, I was looking that up. Yeah, I've seen it. It's I've seen it good. as well. I mean, it's a bit weird. It's got um, Zoe Deschanel playing. Okay. Who I know isn't your favorite. That's um, right. She goes by DG, which is um, obviously short for Dorothy Gale. Yeah. And it is much more like she has an evil sister. And she is more of an empowered female protagonist. Okay. But well, of course, there's Wicked as well, which yes. we shouldn't neglect to, no, to and, mention. And that's amazing. Like yes. I love. I've seen um, the musical of Wicked, and I, I found it so powerful. And I love the story of you know the Wicked Witch and how she's not wicked actually at all. Mm. And it's just you know she's been misunderstood, and the villagers are just scared of her. I'm I'm not uh, super familiar with it because I was sort of turned off Wicked by fellow. 
like musical nerds during high school mm. in the same way they got turned off rent just by hearing like the one That's, song again yeah, and again yeah, and again like, so de- define gravity in my head is like it's burnt in but yeah. I have not really got much interest in like engaging with the musical sure, you, sure. But both of you are big fans of it yeah yeah I love it and you th- do you feel as though it adds something more to the book or the movie or do you feel as though they're just sort of separate entities, but with the same sort of uh, IP? I would say they're separate because I don't like rewatching the film now. I was thinking about the story of Wicked Witch. Alphaba. Alphaba. Yeah, I was thinking about Alphaba and how it's none of the cues are shown in the film of like her motivations behind things because because. Sure. Alphaba is in love with the um, scarecrow. Yeah. Yeah. This oh, really? Would, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This is what I would propose. Um, for what? <laughs> of Wicked. Wicked is the Wizard of Oz we would have got if Neil Gaiman had been the author. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Sure, okay. I, sure I can okay. see that. Sure. Yeah. 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 Like, think about Stardust and the way everything in it is kind of flipped around. You get a glimpse of it and then that thing becomes a different meaning. Like, even the names of some of the characters yeah. at the beginning has significance to where, what their actual fate is. And it's like that when um, you're watching the musical of Wicked, uh, all of the characters who become the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion and uh, the Tin Man are people that exist in the world of Alphaba and Glinda and different things happen in that result. Like mm-hmm. um, the Scarecrow becomes a Scarecrow because he's beaten and Alphaba does a spell to try and make him feel no pain. And it turns it, 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 but she messes it up or something. She messes yeah. it up. Oh, and he, no. he doesn't feel pain because he's a Scarecrow. He's made yeah. it. He sure, can't feel anything. Sure. Um, and then one of the things in the the plot is that there's a movement that um, animals who speak in the world of Oz shouldn't have the ability to speak because they're animals and they should be lesser than humans. Mm. And so the Cowardly Lion is actually a professor initially at right. the beginning of the play and because of this movement he loses his ability to talk and he becomes the Cowardly Lion. Ooh. Mm. Okay. I feel like It's that, really good. It's real good. I feel like Wicked is like a modernization of uh this like this this the story in general. Like it's yeah. a it's a doesn't have to be a remake to be a uh, uh, an adaption. Yeah. Okay, maybe I need to watch Wicked or all those. Or maybe listen to Wicked. I don't know. Cameron really, like my brother, um, we saw the stage production and like he was really moved by it. Like I remember at halftime when um, Alpha sings like Defying Gravity. Uh-huh. Cameron thought that was the end of the show and he was so satisfied. Sure. He was like, that was amazing. I was like, it's only halftime, bro. And he was like, oh man, I was so stoked. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not called halftime, it's intermission. Yeah, I don't know why I said halftime. It's not a sports it's a game. That's all right. <laughs> well, l- let's just um, we'll, like pass our hour mark here. What? How would you rate the film as a film in and of itself? To be honest, I don't know if it's because I was comfortable or warm, but I found myself dozing at about the three-quarter mark. And it might be just because stories these days are told at a different pacing uh-huh. than at 1939. Um, or it could be because the directors were pandering to the naivety they felt children possessed. <laughs> you know, I haven't watched it in probably like 10 years and I don't feel a need to suddenly watch it again like I definitely think there's a nostalgia element to the songs like yeah, I yeah. enjoy I will 100% watch it again but it'll be with my children because I feel like they need to be exposed to it sure yeah so I don't know um, as a film in and of itself I don't know like a 5 if I'm being honest a 5 just a happy wow. meal yeah so you don't really feel any type of way about it yeah 
Just it just exists. Like, but as, uh, if you'd asked me to, before today, before I'd watched the film, you would have said something higher. I would have said something higher. But rewatching it now, I guess maybe because I've been studying more literature and reading them and watching different film adaptations, I guess I've got a bigger scope to reference things to. And I'm like, it's not that amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna rate it in context though. So sure, I'm gonna give okay, it. Okay, this is this is yeah, this is my modern day. Lens. So yeah. what are you rating it as? I'm, I'm going to give it a six, maybe a six and a half, because if I compare it to films like Sound of Music or um, Singing in the Rain, I would rather watch Singing in the Rain than The Wizard of Oz. And so I feel like those get rated higher. But in context of the era that it was made in, sure. the costuming, the commitment. Well, the costumes are amazing. Yes. Amazing. Even the fact that they, were, they said, you know what would be cool? Let's film the opening in black and white. Yeah, yeah and then awesome. shift the palette. Yeah. And it's awesome. Great what idea. a great idea. Great totally. Fantastic. And well executed as well. Sort of opening the door to that uh, just burst of colour. You 100% I mean, really get that feeling of this is a different world. You're somewhere magical. Yeah. So magical. Definitely, so I, I, I think it is. It, it's not unfairly placed on the pedestal that it's placed on. Yeah, okay. no, I can see that. And, and when you watch um, certain, um, like, updated versions of the film not only does it go from being in black and white yeah it also changes to the wider lens oh really so it goes from like the six by four to like nice widescreen yeah which is a cool shift to see with the color yeah absolutely i would love to see this on like a massive screen yeah you know i would go see it yeah what do you think oh man that's a tough one um Like, uh, I want to sort of put it right in the middle of the road as well, just because I, I'm not, like, uh, super for it. I didn't, I don't love it. Uh, I don't really feel any sort of huge tie to it from my childhood. For me, that's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Like, that is my musical. Like, uh, all, all the other ones, Mary Poppins, uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, uh, they all sort of take second fiddle to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I rate very highly. Um, <laughs> so this, We've this actually sort of, rewatched it with you, yes. like, I think this year. Yes, absolutely. This sort of sits, like, in a, in a happy a happy five, I'd say. Like, um, or, or maybe maybe even a six. I'll give it a six because it's just culturally significant. Like, it's it a, is. It's I, a, I can see that. It's a film that has a, a, a real place in um, everyone's collective, or well, many people's collective memory. Yeah. yeah. Something that I really love about this film is that my dad saw this film before I was born and he showed this film and he was excited mm. to show it to me and we connected over it. and yeah. now I'm going to show it to my kids sure. and they're going to be excited because I'm going to be excited about it and uh-huh. we're going to connect yeah. over it. and I love and that, that generation that has value definitely yeah, definitely. yeah well it's interesting that when listing these films like Bedknobs and Bruce Six and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and The Wizard of Oz because we're all born in like the 1990s and so yeah. these films were these old were, yeah they're not films we, that came out when we were kids yeah like um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang came out in 1968 and that's when my parents were in their 20s yeah so you know it, but it's interesting that this film is one of those cool things that I really like when were your parents born? Uh, mine were born in the 60s they would have been kids when she so should have been teenagers, teenagers, teenagers I was yeah. like my parents were born in the 1960s they would have been three <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but my point yeah I was just aged my parents whoops <laughs> um, my point is that one of my favourite things about film and books um, is the way that it can pass through generations and totally. it's something that you're excited about when you first see it and then you share and I think that's that's so human to want to carry out these stories Absolutely. through time and it's yeah. just it's really fun do you think well, that's the thing that children's books are specifically good at yes I think so as well I think children's books yeah. are better at it than any other form of storytelling right why why I think children spend more time reading than adults do in a lot of ways I'd say so they have well. more time yes 
Sure. Yeah. And they and, and and when you're a child, I think especially because in general children spend more time reading, but I think books and stories have a larger impact on you than they do when you're an adult. When sure. you're an adult, you're kind of inundated by messages from so many different places. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, I have visceral memories about the books that I read and the way that mm. I reacted to them. I remember throwing my copy of The Outsiders across the room. <laughs> Uh, during the deaths in that yeah, book, right. and I, you know, like right. I remember getting incensed when I read uh, the series of unfortunate events, a bad beginning, and finding out that Count Olaf hit Klaus and those child protective services were going to do nothing because it was a legal form of discipline for children. Yeah, I was right. like, what? <sighs> and I just, you know, like books have shaped how I interact with the world. Totally. And, Totally. You know? I guess having uh, uh, been exposed to that sort of material in your formative years is, uh, is the crux of it, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, these are lessons that you're having imparted upon you, and uh, they're the kind of thing that stick with you, I guess. And there's a, there's a rose-colored lens that we look at our childhood in a way that I don't think that we necessarily look at a lot of other areas of our mm. life. Mm. Like, even if you're looking at something, like if you're like going through your 40s and you look at that through a rose-colored lens, I think it's often because you've just had your first children sure. and you're watching them grow up and that's what you... So it is that, that idea of childhood and innocence that we really enjoy mm. and have a desire to try and be whisked away to. Definitely. Makes sense. Humans are always thinking about a different place. Like, it's quite rare when people are like, I'm content where I am. Currently. Isn't that so beautiful that you mentioned that considering the book and the film yeah, that we're talking absolutely. about? Yeah, yeah, oh I, it's I'm not, so insightful. That was totally intentional. It's a great segue. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like I actually dislike about the book and the film. I imagine it's probably a sentiment that's echoed by both of you two, uh, is the, the idea that being at home, which is where you physically live at one point, is the place for you. And uh, like I feel like home is where the heart is or something like that would have been a much better message than like, Stay home. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay where you are. You don't want to go to new lands. And it's, 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 I felt like it was more explicit in the book. I remember uh, listening to it and um, I listened to the audiobook just uh, before I came around here. And uh, I was thinking, oh my God, these are, this person's like saying, stay in your country. Like, do not go to a foreign <laughs> land. Maybe he's anti-immigration. You will not enjoy it. You will not have a good time. It's not worth it. I actually disagree. Like, I was thinking about that and I was like, maybe it's one of the reasons I really hate the message in the movie so much more. More than I did in the book is because in the book she's like under 13 you know sure. so it makes sense to be like you're a child go home yeah okay you know? right but when you're telling a 16 year old yeah this farm in the middle of nowhere is the only place for you to not dream of other lands yeah. or yeah. other horizons stay where you are young girl you belong in the home yeah definitely <laughs> that is your place. I, think the, I think the age of the character definitely changes the meaning because a child yeah you should go home that's you know it's where your food and shelter is but if yeah when you get older it's um definitely you should be encouraged to have new experiences and see new places Mm. should we do our final segment um i just want to say one other thing that's quite interesting because yes whether or not they tried to age uh judy garland down for the film she she plays as a teenager yes that's how you read her on screen and i think it's interesting to think about the way that she is portrayed as a 16 year old on screen uh and the way that 
you, like compared to the way 16 year olds are portrayed now because yeah. it's a very mm. young 16 everything she says is so pouty yeah you know like but I want to go home now yeah. a bit like it's very Ver- juvenile yeah, yeah. broke assault yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. daddy I, compare that to I was thinking about this earlier I don't know if I mentioned that is when we we're talking about aging up and down actors and actresses uh, as Mean Girls which is mm. Uh, mm. another another film where they've got uh, people playing a role uh, that is significantly the actor or actress is significantly older than I feel like this one did it better than uh, the Mean Girls or something else has done because or even though Dorothy Judy Garland as Dorothy doesn't sell to me as a as a child mm. uh, she sells to me as a, a child like as, as a as a young a young person better than uh, oh, uh, yeah. a lot of older actresses or actors might have yeah, we definitely. were marked on that we recently watched a French film um, called Water Lilies. Water Lilies and we both felt more uncomfortable because of how the actresses portraying the characters were actually the age of the, the characters sure um, and they were 13, 14 they were having their sexual awakening and it's really weird mm. as an adult to watch a 13, 14 year old girl have a sexual play awakening play that out it's on, weird uh, on yeah, yeah. yeah we, it, totally. we're used to seeing like 25 year olds playing teenagers like, yeah, 14 yeah. year olds yeah. and so to but see it, one who actually looks that young it's good because I think that we need to remember that 13, 14 year old girls and boys are having yeah. sexual awakenings yeah. and they need to understand what that means totally. yeah. and, 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 and see that represented represented totally. because there is a innocence we try to force on 13, 14 year olds that's mm. I don't think helpful yeah well a lot of time it's probably um, we're pushing shame on them yeah. when they're just going through their um, you know puberty it's a personal it's, thing right like everyone uh, develops differently and some people at age 12 are going to be more like Dorothy and at age yeah. 12 some people aren't yeah especially when you look at a film like Mean Girls and see the sexualization of the women and the relationships they have with the boys there mm. if you look at that as a 13 year old you don't look like they do um, mm. but you're going to be their age in two or three years sure and it's a real different thing. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I would I would bet that uh, Judy Garland and her Dorothy look was like haute couture after um, after the film came out. Mm, I reckon yeah. there'd be people across America, across the globe, probably dressing their kids or their kids wanting to dress like uh, like Dorothy. Oh, I was one of them. Getting them dressed yeah. and everything. I would say um, Dorothy and Matilda were the two looks i sure, went to as sure. a young girl nice. like that th- th- that was the pinnacle of my fashion choices yeah. we can wrap it up now i just wanted to point that no, out no no that's thought, fine i thought that was an interesting thing to think yeah, about it is, so absolutely absolutely so um revamp remake or retire yes that's the final segment and Ooh. i think for the first time i've said that right you have oh yes. nice i feel like we have somewhat talked about this already a little bit but i would like to say like maybe on three on three we'll all go at the same time to just see oh man i gotta pick just one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you gotta pick one um but you can think about it so one more time for me revamp Revamp, remake remake, retire retire. yeah okay okay i'm good i'm good i got one yeah okay yep so one two two, three three. remake okay so bria interesting all right so bria and i were remake and Chris's revamp. Yes. So tell us about yeah. that. Um, look, I, I thought I'd throw out revamp because uh, I've already thrown out my idea for a, <laughs> uh, like an M15, M16 yes. re- remake. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it could be good fun. It could be good fun. But I think that uh, fantasy um, and science fiction more than any other genre suffers from uh, aging poorly. And that's because yes. of a reliance on special effects. Yes. So for me... 
I would want to main. I'd be very interested in seeing the story maintained. Maybe the script being a little bit closer to what the book was, or maybe including a little bit more things. Um, but also seeing that with updated CGI prosthetics, I'd love to see it done with like puppets, like the Dark Crystal or something oh, like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. For me, that, that would be just fantastic, and I reckon they could really bring the descriptions and um, and, and some of the more strange elements of the story. Uh, to life now where they couldn't before. Nice. So that's why I pick uh, revamp. Yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah, I feel that. Like we talk a lot about. I think um, I I have sort of a uh, love hate relationship with CGI, and I think that we rely on it a little bit too much in modern film. There are certain films where I think absolutely CGI needs to be an essential part mm-hmm. of it, like Avatar. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I was disappointed when the new. Beauty and the Beast came out and the Beast was CGI. Definitely. I was, I was like, I much rather wanted to see a practical effect on yeah, that side. That's, yeah, that, that's why I brought up prosthetics because I, I personally enjoy practical effects a lot more than uh, yeah. CGI yeah. ones as well. But of course, you know, there are some things that you can, they can make landscapes and fill, fill in backdrops and stuff. Now, we were talking about a lot when we were watching, like, she's going to walk into the wall. And yeah, people, yeah, yeah. And she keeps walking down the road. She's going to hit the end and I walk was, into yeah, a wall. I was waiting for it to cut and she knows she has to just keep walking <laughs> yeah, until she gets to the yeah, wall yeah. and she's going to because we, we were talking about this, They're, they've made a new Secret Garden, which is going to be released yes. um, a little bit later. It was supposed to be released in April, but because of the lockdown, they pushed it back. And um, we watched the trailer, and I'm not Not so old? No. Okay. Oh, they've used way too much CGI. And they just changed the story, really. Uh, well, they've made it literally magic. Yeah, they've okay. made it In a way that it was sort of more spiritual and, gotcha. and, and very much like the internal magic that we have. Yes. And, uh, but now it's overtly fantastic. It's overtly yeah. fantastic. Like the trees are alive. They're like, yeah, okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it looks... It looks like it's made in 2020. Like everything is really clean and sure, bright sure. and sure. You know. I think you sparingly or using the right way CGI would definitely enhance yeah, the story. For, absolutely sparingly. For me, the, the big, the big, um, the sort of light bulb moment for CGI for me was watching the behind the scenes of The Great Gatsby, the the a modern remake with Leonardo DiCaprio mm. and uh, Tobey Maguire in it. Yeah. Um, where they showed how they basically built the entire uh, like palatial estate um, of Gatsby uh, through CGI and how mm. much of it was actually real. And if, if I hadn't seen uh, all the, the green screen backdrops and stuff without the images predicted on them, I would have never known. I would have just thought, oh, yeah, it's a set piece. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. They, they can fill it in fantastically. I think especially when you're not drawing your eye directly yeah. to it. Yeah. When it's in the background, it's, it's easy for the brain to see it and just recognize it, yep, that's a sea, yep, that's a forest, yep, that's a big mess of a state. I guess for me, um, CGI loses it when it comes to the human. So for me, if if you're creating a character that's entirely CGI, if it's not something like Gollum, okay. I'd let it go and I'd make it with practical so you, effects. So you really wouldn't want to see them uh, do a deep fake image of Judy Garland onto a Millie Bobby Brown acting <laughs> as uh, Julie Garland's face or something? No. <laughs> and Star Wars. I wouldn't want to see a CGI lion either. Yeah, no, I would be no, disappointed. No, no, no. I, I think it's more impressive uh, to see what they do with makeup. I, th- I think if they pulled off an Aslan, I think Aslan was done pretty well. Yeah. From what I remember of oh, watching Lion no, Witch the Wardrobe. They did. But I like Aslan the is always a lion. Yeah, sure. You know, whereas the lion is seems to always be a on, man lion. Like a man lion. He's yeah, walking on yeah, two yeah, feet. He's bipedal. Yeah. yeah. Whereas He's Aslan anthropomorphic. is not. Yes. He's actually just a lion. Yeah. 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 So okay. It, it, it does. It does depend. But. Yes. Um, 
But you know, like it's not like they did the new um, Call of the Wild, and the dog is or the or the wolf dog is um, CGI. entirely CGI, and I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah, for me, it doesn't that doesn't sell? It, the, the 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 plot of the book is about the relationship between expensive. man and, and and dog, and then they're like, yeah. and you don't get to work with a dog. <laughs> you get to, <laughs> to look at this relationship face. between man and watch dog. out, Toto. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think for reasons we've already talked about, I said remake. Um, yeah, would just love to see. I want to see feminist twenty twenty. Yeah, we'll just see one with a you know the main character who happens to be female actually is the main character and she is mm. the one making the choices and driving the story rather than just constantly being like I need this to happen. Someone help me have it happen to me. I didn't bring this up, but one of the reasons that Dorothy is heralded as a feminist hero, one of the first ones that was by an American author, is because um, she sets out on a journey to get back home, which is her desire. And she believes that the way to do what she needs and get what she needs is from a man who turns out to be a false prodigy. Mm. And she has the power in herself the entire time. Absolutely. Sure. I can get and this. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Yeah. So um, I, I, when I was reading that, I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. I guess that's how you interpret something. Yeah. I think actually, I know we've, uh, we've, we've kept on going on and on. No, no, no. Um, but taking that to uh, uh, the sort of the man behind the curtain thing, <laughs> I'm interested to know what you two think of that as like, how, how do you read into that? Because a lot of people will sort of see that image and in a, in a, in a modern like contemporary context will see the idea of the man behind the curtain and go right that is a uh, that's alluding to like a political figure or a religious figure or someone who's in a position of power and uh that this power is sort of a manufactured structure mm. at least that's the way i read it but i don't know if that's necessarily how it was intended well if you take the idea that it's it's all symbolic for what was going on in America mm. uh, with the, you know, the Great Depression and the different political leaders where the Oz is William McKinley, the president at the time, who mm-hmm. promised to make things better but never really fulfilled on sure. any of his promises. Um, then, yes, that's absolutely So you think that's encouraging a mistrust in authority? I don't know if the mistrust in all authority. I think it, it's, it's, you know, being wary of false promises. Sure. And I think, I guess, in a modern-day sense... We could look and say Trump is uh, would fit into Oz as well. He talks big, but he's actually just um, a person, a con artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not I, a very smart one. No, uh, yeah, I mean, neither is Oz though. Really, I mean, no, he's no. standing by. He's revealed by a dog. <laughs> only um seen as a wizard because he came from an unknown land and he has Absolutely. stuff that the people of oz didn't know about he's a dodgy character yeah, it's all mm. that he, he just, really is he's just a stranger and they're like oh jesus and then yeah, but once, i feel yeah. like i was thinking about this the other day when i was thinking about phones and how the microchips in phones allow internet towers to specifically allow your phone access to internet wherever it is even though it moves around quite a bit mm. and not someone else's phone and how fantastical that that seems as an idea sure. yeah. and i was like oh yeah if you travel to a land with much more advanced technology i could definitely see how you might think that was magic oh definitely. but even if you just go back uh 70 years like my grandma to when this film was being filmed yes yeah. Yeah. yeah if you talk to my grandmother about a phone like a computer one day that would be small enough to fit in your hand and you could search for anything, anything. you on could it do anywhere and you could call someone at any time like she would you could show t- them your image yeah. on it and yeah. they could show you yours you know she would do a telephone exchange where you would connect the wires to physically send a phone call somewhere Absolutely. and so to her that, like that is magic and you know she has no interest in even learning how to u- use a television remote 
So it's, you know, absolutely. If someone did come and they were like, oh, look at this, I can teleport from this space to the next and all it is is science. Sure. But to us, it's like, oh, sorcery. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I definitely have a, you know, feminist lesbian lens when I look at this kind of thing. So I can, I do think, you know, it's... um, the story about how Dorothy realizes that this man has been built up to be this amazing thing, but he can't give her what she needs. And but I mean, even in the book, there's still someone else who just helps her out. Like it is, it's just it happens to be Glinda who tells her, "Oh, by the way, it's your shoes. Like you, that you can go anywhere in the world within three steps." Which is how she mm. gets back. Does she feel as though Dorothy's learned her lesson or something? Like. Oh, yeah, you've you've done your time in here. This, well, it's like what now. we said, like, maybe the the witch of the North didn't know what the shoes could do. Sure, of course. Okay, did. right. I'm pretty sure what happens is um, that witch is the one whose husband was killed by the monkeys, and so she traps the monkeys with the crown that the Wicked Witch then gets, and Dorothy brings back the crown. Like, it's, it's much more convoluted, but she mm. does just say to Dorothy, you, it, you, it, and it's actually silver shoes. Um, you just need to click those three times to hit, yeah. to hit on back. Because it was one of the things, the idea was that Dorothy was the everyday American mm. uh, and represented, like, populist ideals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the the Yellow Brick Road was the gold standard and how they wanted to buy, like, a two-coin standard. So they wanted it to be the gold standard and the silver standard, which would help uh, liquidate more assets and put more money into the economy, which would ease some of... The financial hardships that people were facing, and then yeah. the Tin Man represents represented factory workers, and how they were a bit heartless, and they're dealing with the farmers, which was the Scarecrow, and people felt like one of the the concerns was that the Scarecrow, like the farmers, weren't smart enough to be able to make decisions for themselves. Exactly. So this is this is it. This is this is our final episode. Yeah, it's been a really fun season. Thank you, Chris, for joining us on our final episode thanks for having me oh it's been really nice you it's really nice to i don't know i just appreciate all your questions i thought they were they were great they were i have long showers i've got lots of time to think (laughs) (laughs) great um what are we covering next week maddie uh well next week we are doing our oscars episode Hmm. and what that involves is we are going to get you the listeners to vote on the favorite um book to film adaptation we have covered in this season and there will be prize giveaways so make sure that you vote um and get involved and participate and then after that we'll be starting our second season female-led films yes which books i'm very excited about and we're going to have more amazing guests on the show which is awesome it's everyone i love having guests on because i feel like brie and i you know we live together mm-hmm. and so we you know we, we were just like oh let's start a podcast because we have all these conversations and they're, they're really good sure and, but i think having guests on it's always- nice to be included in those conversations not that I'm yes. uh, no not normally, but it's it's interesting to uh, to bounce ideas around with you two and uh, see what kind of uh, opinions and ideas you've got about children's literature in this case. Yes, um, no, it is really fun. And having guests on is always more fun for me because Brie and I are so familiar. It always adds um, a different energy element to have guests on, and so I really like it. And so it's really nice to have you here. And thank you again. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and give us a good review if you enjoyed it. And follow us on social media. We are Chapter 1 Take 2 on Facebook and Instagram and at CH1TK2 on Twitter. Yeah, and feel free to email us at chapter1take2 at outlook.com. Um, we've already had a few listeners give us some suggestions, which I'm sure in following seasons we will cover. 
Let us know what you thought of The Wizard of Oz, the adaptation, and um, the significance and the changes of Dorothy's character. And do you have any ideas about what a different adaptation in the future will look like? Yeah. Who who would you you cast? cast? Who would you you cast as Dorothy? Uh, yeah, but no, this has been great. Thank you for sticking with us through season one. Um, I look forward to um, seeing how the votes turn out in our Oscars episode uh, next fortnight. I'm Maddie. I'm Chris. I'm Brianna. And this has been Chapter One, Take Two.